0: What is the Podcaster Matrix? The Podcaster Matrix is your source for podcast media hosting. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. Feeling of being watched, hidden eyes following you, a cold chill crawling up your spine, the hairs on the back of your neck standing straight up. Do you know what that is? It's fear. Fear is the most basic human emotion tied into our instinct to survive. Fear gives us the means to overcome great odds cripple us with paralyzing dread. Dread. But fear can also entertain. Turn off all the lights, lock your closet door, and ignore the sounds from beneath your bed. It's time for Two Guys Talking Horror.
1: Behind the scenes, there are a few rules filmmakers have to follow to appease the studio execs and censors. Some are as silly as the number of curse words used by a main character, while others are as arbitrary as how much side boob is considered nudity. These rules are put in place to protect movie audiences, despite the genre, and the biggest rules on the list are no killing animals and no killing
0: children. In horror movies, the sometimes senseless death of characters is to be expected. One of the high points for most horror fans is the comfort in knowing that there will be murder and mayhem during the film that they're watching. That being said, the death of an animal or a child is still jarring, whether it happens on or off camera. What's more important is if that death moved the story along or was just there for shock value. During this episode of Lethal Listings,
1: we will be leaving the lovable pets alone as we focus on children in the horror genre and firmly state that
0: The kids are not alright.
1: Seven horror films
0: that did the unthinkable. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls. Welcome to another episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. I'm one of your hosts, Nicholas J. Hearn. And I'm your other host, Jason Contini. Jason, always a pleasure to have you inside of Danger Room Studios. Before we get to the lethal listings, a quick bit of housekeeping. The Curious Goods Podcast on the Podcaster Matrix. When I don't get to podcast with you, Jason, I'm podcasting with a variety of other people, one of them being Mike Wilkerson, my fellow co-host on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Well, we got together and we decided we were going to do a review of the old TV show Friday the 13th, the series. Each of those episodes, we watch it, we retell the story in a somewhat humorous, tongue-in-cheek kind of a way. And then we we go through uh, three good things and three bad things about the episode. And then we give it a, a nice little rating, do some nostalgic stuff. A recap fun. and a review. Yeah, yeah f- fun stuff there. Yeah, sure. Now, because I'm a part of that podcast, Two Guys Talking Horror is actually kind of the sponsor for The Ooh. Curious Goods. Yes, yes. It's brought to you by Ooh. Two Guys Talking Horror. Not only can you find all of the episodes of the Curious Goods podcast on the Two Guys Talking podcast network, but we're also living over on the Podcaster Matrix as well. All of our episodes are there with uh, new synopsis and links to both our social media sites and the show notes for each episode. So not only do I want to suggest anybody who loved Friday the 13th, the series, or even if you vaguely remember it, but you want to go back to it, this is the podcast for you. So definitely check out the Curious Goods podcast and the Podcaster Matrix. We'll have links to both in the show notes for this episode. Now, Jason, you and I were both married, and we are without children. Correct. Hopefully. Hopefully. It, well <laughs> I mean there might be some I mean I was I was I was we a, both did
1: a lot of dumb things yeah <laughs>
0: yes. and both of our wives are in the minds of what we don't want to have children right so right we will never feel the horror that a parent would feel uh, with their child in danger now that does not necessarily mean that we hate children, but we love watching them in movies. We're just not built that way. No. You know, the four no. of us
1: were just not built to be caretakers. I mean, right. the four of us can barely take care of ourselves. Exactly. <laughs> so we don't need to yeah.
0: subject any other living being to No, that. not at all. Just because we don't want to have children doesn't mean that we don't feel for them right. when something bad happens to them in horror films. And, and, and children have been in peril since horror films have, have really began i mean i mean if i'm remembering correctly one of the first on-screen child deaths was in fact 1931's frankenstein
1: it really kind of depends on on what you say by or what you mean i suppose rather by on-screen ah well um, true because you you only see it up to a point you know the monster picks the little girl up tosses her and in the tosses lake. her but you don't actually see her drown or get killed you, you only just see, see later action. on the dead the body. dad carries carrying her lifeless yeah. body yeah right yeah i guess that's that's at least the earliest that i can think of mm. I, I don't know there might be something in a silent film you know i mean anything from the early 30s and prior you know that's Pre censor codes, so right?
0: They, they got away with a lot. Well, I remember so, they actually cut that scene out of after Frankenstein a few years, for yeah. a while, and yeah. wasn't it wasn't until was the last 20 years or so. Oh, I think they, late put, 80s, early 90s, I think in? something yeah. like that. It came back, yeah. And we talk about that particular scene, it was able to be taken out of the movie, and it did nothing to the movie, but the fact that a child died in that film. One of the things I want to I want to focus on during this episode of Lethal Listings is whether these child deaths in the movies that we're going to list are actually plot driven. Or if they're just gratuitous and they're for shock value.
1: And there's nothing wrong with that either. No, no, I we're mean, not saying you, you know, it's wrong. We're no, no, not no, no. and I just bad. want to make sure that we clarify that right. to anyone that's listening. We're, we're not saying that in a horror film, gratuitous death is a bad thing. Well, um, <laughs> they take know. away our horror card. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but you know, it all comes down to the kind of film you're looking at. Right. You know, Sometimes gratuitous death in a horror film can be bad if the horror film is not that kind of a film. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you're watching a film that, that is all about, let's see how much more gruesome the next death can be, th- then there's nothing wrong. It's still gratuitous, mm-hmm. but there is nothing wrong with that. So just to clarify anybody watching, we're not saying that gratuitous death is bad. We're just trying to make a clear distinction between right. whether something is plot or character-driven
0: or just gratuitous in there for fun. Now on the same note, we are going to be dealing with story points to all of these movies so a spoiler warning is in effect so if you haven't
1: seen one or multiple or any of the movies that we are about to talk about pause the episode and go watch the movie don't don't just skip the episode watch the movie then come back and join us you know for the the remainder of the discussion but just be warned that we are going to give things away if you haven't seen these films and with
0: that, let us jump right into this episode of Lethal Listings. The Kids Are Not Alright. Seven horror films that did the unthinkable. Number Seven A Quiet Place. Released in 2018. Directed by John Krasinski, written by John Krasinski, Brian Woods, and Scott Beck, starring John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. Fairly recent film. Yeah. Uh, one of the big ones for 2018. For me, was a breath of fresh air where the yeah. horror monster genre was concerned. Almost a completely silent film,
1: unless I'm mistaken. Also, the winner of the first annual Two Guys Talking Horror Spookies. Yes, award. yes, and it for was anybody the winner. that Actually, it was the one that swept the majority. Yeah, it took of the a awards. lot of the it yeah, yeah, yeah. Them, yeah. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know that, go back and check some of our earlier uh, podcast episodes that deal with the Spookies and and award shows and horror, as well as some of the videos that we have for that on online. But uh, yeah, A Quiet Place. It was quite refreshing. It was quite different. This is a film
0: that wants to set the tone real quick for you. Oh yeah. And within the first 10 minutes, maybe even less than that, I, I think it's less than 10 minutes. It might be less than that, yeah. We get a death, and it's a child's death. Yeah. It's a small child's death. And this is this is one of those that happens off-camera all you get to see is some uh, the panic of the parents, the obliviousness of the child, because, again, it's a child. I mean, he knows that something's going to happen, but he doesn't realize what he's done. And then the blur of the creature grabbing him and taking carrying him off into the other direction of the woods. Yeah. Very quick, but shocking.
1: And this probably helps uh, contribute to the shockingness of it. There is nothing that eludes... To that moment happening. You know, there, there's none of the cliche scary music that comes up that makes right. you think, oh, somebody's going to die. All you know is what you've seen before, that they have to be extremely quiet. Yeah, Don't and, make any noise. Right. And he, and he is not. There's no music that accompanies it, from what I recall. It just happens yeah. it just comes out of nowhere and it catches you completely by surprise yeah the
0: only the only sound you're hearing is the the toy, the toy going, going off, off yeah and krasinski's foot falls yes, as he's right. running that's right the because foot falls. nobody is yelling look out because you right. can't because then they'll hear you too and you'll die as well i got to see the film in the theater and i tell you what wasn't expecting something like that to happen so soon. No. Set the tone. I was on edge the rest of the film because I did not know what to expect.
1: Yeah, and it's brilliantly paced and brilliantly directed that right. moment. And like you said, it does. It, it sets the tone. You know exactly what you're in for. And when you know that what you're in for is something that you can't figure out mm. <laughs> and you know that may come and, and slap you in the face at a moment's notice, uh, That that's that's fun
0: yeah this is a movie where you don't get that obligatory info dump from a character no. for, basil exposition no does not walk yeah you got to learn things as you watch yeah and that brings up the question was this death plot driven or gratuitous uh, in my opinion definitely plot driven because Absolutely. it's like we've been saying it sets the tone. I think had we actually seen on camera what the monster did to the child, then we would have uh, placed it in gratuitous, but it still would have been plot-driven. It still would have been plot-driven, so
1: I I don't know. Since Since we're going out of our way to make a clear distinction between one or the other in these seven films, I don't know that it would fall into gratuitous for me, even if they showed it in Mm. full detail. I think it would still be plot-driven for me, no matter how much of it they actually show. (laughs) Number six, Jaws. Released in 1975. Directed by Steven Spielberg. Written by Peter Benchley and Carl Gottlieb. Starring Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, and Richard Dreyfus.
0: I think this is one of our favorite films, but also one of our favorite Spielberg films as as well. It really,
1: yeah, absolutely, I think for both of us. And I would even go so far as to say in recent years, I would say maybe in the last 10 years or so, Mm -hmm. the more I watch the film, the more I realize just how brilliant it is, Mm -hmm. and the more I start to think that... It is incredibly underrated. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that people think it's bad. People think it's brilliant. Well, yeah. But I, I think it is even more brilliant than most people think it is. <laughs> I, I think it. Um, the more I watch it, the more I realize it might be one of the ten best American films ever made. Bold words. I. It's, every time I watch it, I find something new and whether it's something I had never seen in the film before or something about filmmaking or a technique that I had never thought of before. I mean, every time I find something new and I think it's about as flawless a horror film as you can get. Again, I feel like, like it does the same thing that a quiet place does. It sets the mood right off the bat with the college kids out on the beach and leaving the visual to your imagination, of course, you know, which the movie excels at.
0: But technically speaking, if it was shot the way that it was supposed to be we wouldn't have
1: that. We would have been seeing the shark all the time. Right. So, you know, thank God it didn't work out that way. (laughs) Yeah. It it sets that tone. So you've already got that tone. Unlike Quiet Place, you don't have the kid death at the beginning to set things. But you've already got that tone. Your your attention is already ratcheted. Hmm. So when the kid who does... Of course, get eaten in the film.
0: Yeah, I'd say about halfway through the film, yeah, maybe, even maybe, that maybe. Maybe just may a little be a bit little, before yeah, halfway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: When uh when that kid goes into the water, you're already anxious for him. Well, because right because the, the tension is
0: in already... the water, but everybody else is in the water. The the beach right. is open right. despite what Chief Brody has been trying to say. Right. So you're you're worried about everybody. The dog. There's even a dog. There's a dog. The dog playing fetch. And it
1: cuts back and forth so beautifully, you don't know where it's going to happen until, of course, they all start. You know, there's the sighting, and they
0: scream, and they're all running. And where the kid is concerned, where the kid death, where the child death is concerned, it's again, it's one of those things to where I'm sure if they wanted to, they would have shown it graphically. But what we get is foam flailing limbs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the uh floaty device the little yeah. uh, flotation device covers most of it and then just the water churning from white to red and this isn't even red; it's almost it's more brown actually yeah, yeah. it's it's probably more what it would actually look like right exactly so and then it's 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 panic 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 yep. and then it's like oh well, that kid is dead yeah
1: yeah well and i think you see a, a fin too don't you doesn't yeah, it doesn't like it roll over, over, over on it yeah yeah, something, yeah, yeah 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 which is a terrifying thought and it just right. a terrifying oh, image yeah. yeah and then of course there's that beautiful <laughs> that beautiful uh, push on Brody right that is like one of the most famous shots in film history yeah. I think that that comes in at that moment and it, the, the whole sequence is amazing and then it just at that moment you know your tensions already raised because mm-hmm. of the first forty minutes or so of the film. That moment kind of tells you, hey, guys, nobody's off limits here.
0: Yeah, nobody's safe. Absolutely nobody. doesn't
1: matter that Chief Brody is your main character. Nobody's safe here. Mm -hmm. That brings us to the question then for
0: this one, is this plot driven or is this gratuitous? Totally plot driven. I absolutely think it's plot driven. Because this is the folly of man. Chief Brody tried to stop it. Yep. And he didn't try hard enough. Yep. And this is what has happened. And a child is now dead.
1: And in fact, I would even say that it is probably that moment that spins the film into the second and third acts. Yeah. Which, you know, when you start looking at films and trying to find where different plot points are, the more you do that, the easier it gets to find. But Jaws is such a perfect example Mm. that that moment, it it completely changes the tone of the film and moves you in a new direction.
0: Number five, The Blob, released in 1988, directed by Chuck Russell, written by Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont, starring Kevin Dillon and Shawnee Smith. Now, this remake, and a lot of people are going like, oh my God, you're talking about a remake? This is well. one of the great horror Remakes. There aren't many. There's not so, many. You know.
1: You want to? Make I could sure probably that you
0: mention the. Re- I, I could know. probably list them on one hand, maybe two. i Definitely two. not taking off shoes to count no. on the no, on, no, no. on the little piggies. This one, I used. To, I remember watching this one over and over and over again. Absolutely loved this movie. Before we get into the child death here, I want to point out how important this film is to the rest of the horror community. Chuck Russell, the director and one of the writers, Chuck Russell was also the man who directed A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Mm -hmm. probably one of the best Freddy films, not counting the first movie. I was going to
1: say, probably, I think the... Best after the first one, yeah. Well, I mean, it's my favorite. I was gonna say, I think my favorite of the original series. I think Freddy vs Jason is still my favorite, hands down, because it's just so
0: much damn fun. But right,
1: yeah, he directed what essentially is my favorite of the of the run.
0: And and secretly, Frank Darabont actually helped him behind the scenes on Nightmare on Elm Street three. Oh, I did not know that. And Darabont here helped him write the script. Sure. Well, helped write the screenplay for this version of the blob let's also take a look at uh, who stars in this shawnee smith a lot of people should remember shawnee smith from not only the stand miniseries from the 90s but she was also a pivotal character in the first handful of saw films she played amanda the only survivor in the first film, and then, you know, it turns out, spoiler alert, she's working with Jigsaw. Yeah, right. So I wanted to point out how important this remake is. It's also important because it's ballsy. Yeah. It is so ballsy because the death scenes are graphic. Yeah. Which makes me, as a film goer, just more apprehensive as I'm sitting there. Now the child death doesn't even happen until uh, I want to say a little over halfway through the film.
1: Yeah, I'd say that's a fair time.
0: To but say. but we're it's it's a chase. It, it's turned into a chase movie. Shawnee Smith's character is is has got her brother and her brother's friend. They've escaped from the movie theater, and they're down in the sewers and they're trying to get away from the blob. And before they can, the the friend is grabbed uh, it's from underwater. He's grabbed pulled down. Shawnee Smith goes in because, you know, she's doing the whole save the kid, gotta save right. the kid. Well, when she grabs a hold of him and pulls him back up, he's already half melted yeah. from the
1: blob. Yeah.
0: Oh my God. now now as a as a kid, this movie came out. I was like nine years old. So by the time it came to cable, I was ten. So, you know, very sophisticated. <laughs> that gave me nightmares as a kid.
1: See, it's interesting because I I did not. I had seen the original film, mm, Steve McQueen Stephen Green. Film, when I was younger, but I, I had not seen the remake, I would say, maybe until high school or maybe even a year or two after high school. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was, it, it was a very different response. It was much more of watching the film from let's have fun with the blob angle right, right, as opposed right. to let's watch the blob, the scary movie, the blob, as a kid would look at it. So, you know, my reaction was was quite a bit different than just being horrified. (laughs) Uh, It was more of the hell, yeah, that that is so cool. But, yeah, I I can see how as a 10 year old that probably uh, that probably didn't sit too well with you, did it? No, (laughs) no.
0: Most of the deaths in this in this film were very gruesome, which I mean, really just. Slams us right into the question: plot-driven or gratuitous? I'm sorry, you take it out of the film means nothing to the plot.
1: Yeah, I agree. Absolutely nothing I, to I the plot. I was going to say the same thing. 100%. So,
0: so it is a gratuitous death. Yeah, but this is a horror movie. Yeah, this is a monster movie. This thing is is melting and absorbing anything that it comes across. So, yeah, of course, the kid got in the way. Here's the thing. In horror movies, everybody should know this. You don't have to be the fastest. You just have to be faster than at least one of your friends. <laughs> Number four, The Feast
1: Trilogy. Released between 2005 and 2009. Directed by John Gulliger. Written by Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan. Starring Balthazar Getty. Judah Friedlander, Henry Rollins, Clue Gulliger, and many more. I will have to admit that um, this is something on the list that I can't really speak from a fully informed perspective. I, of course, have seen the first Feast movie and, in fact, just recently rewatched it, but I have never actually seen Feast 2 and 3. I've never actually finished watching the trilogy. But I do remember. Years ago, when you and I were living together, watching the Project Greenlight.
0: Ah, yes. That
1: led up to
0: this was actually the last. This Project was the Greenlight. last Project yeah. Greenlight, yeah. Yeah. The and the horror, the horror only centric. one they did that was horror. Yep. Yeah.
1: They had brought in a new name on yes. this one. They had yes. brought
0: in the master Wes Craven. Wes Craven as a producer, right? Always great to have Wes Craven around. Yeah. This harkens back to the i guess you would call them the exploitation sure. monster films sure. of the 60s and 70s mostly the definitely mostly the, so, late yeah, 60s yeah. early 70s i'm a big fan of monster movies this one takes you by surprise mm-hmm. cuz it's it's almost one of those movies that we know we're making a monster movie you know we're making a monster right. movie so let's just have fun here. Yes. yes all of the tropes are here everything's okay Expect the unexpected. I mean, the, the movie even starts off when they introduce characters. There's a freeze frame. Which is such a and brilliant- we get stats. Yeah,
1: it's such a brilliant way to do a
0: movie. Especially for a horror movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the stats lie. Mm-hmm. See, that's another thing. We're lied to by the director. Yeah. By give, because they give every character odds of surviving. Yeah. yeah. Including, including the only kid, the kid that is in the cast. That's right. And the odds are, do you actually think we'd kill a kid? Well, guess what, folks? It's halfway through this first movie. If that even. Wow. Yeah. Because, again, you think, well, yeah, they're not going to kill a kid. You don't just go around killing kids willy-nilly. Stephen King kills kids willy-nilly yeah. in his stories and then adaptations of right. those stories. Well, this ain't a Stephen King story. But, my God, this kid is grabbed, and it pulled oh. through the window, and then the mother... Yep. Trying to save the kid is holding on to his legs, yep. and she is being covered with blood, gore, and other things that are coming out of this monster. That I don't even really want to know. Right? Holy crap! Did that take me by surprise?
1: Yeah, because it it does. It comes quick. It comes out of nowhere. Yeah, it's, and a, it, it's a
0: jump scare, and
1: it it is. It's a jump scare, and it happens so fast. Yeah, I mean the moment the moment the attack starts to the moment it is over you're maybe, we're
0: probably talking 30 seconds
1: may, yeah probably yeah. probably probably less than a minute it's and it's all it's noise so it's
0: all quick. screaming and crunching yep. and yep. and 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 sounds of of bile and stuff being tossed onto onto this actress right
1: now i i have not seen either of the sequels i think the second one there is a kid death
0: correct there, there is there is in the second movie because it's a sequel, you know, you, you you up the body count, you up the monsters. The sequel is even more tongue in cheek, hmm. and towards the end of the film, as the survivors are huddled on top of this building, looking down below inside of a car, they can hear a baby oh, crying. Okay, and some of the some of the survivors are like, "Well, you know, you know, it's a trap." You know, because we're not seeing any monsters running around. They're they're letting that kid cry. They're trying to pull get us out. And then you've got other characters. But it's a baby. We gotta save the baby. Oh my god, we gotta save the baby. So we've got our douchebag character of the piece decides he's gonna swing down there and save the baby, and swing back up. Well, he's not all that in great shape. (laughs) So he swings down there, grabs baby, and immediately the monsters come out. So he's a running. He's a running but he's not running fast enough to get away from the monsters while he's holding this baby. Hmm. And as he's running, he looks at the baby and says, "I'm sorry, baby," and chucks it up into the air <laughs> oh, behind <my> him <laughs> and continues to run. Oh, the wow. baby falls to the pavement and is ravaged oh my by a group of monsters. Oh my. Yes. Now, this happens towards towards the latter half of the film. So by now, you're expecting bad things to happen. And the fact that they would kill a baby in this movie should not surprise you after everything you've seen so far in this second outing. And in the third one, there, there's no children, no, no babies, mm. no adolescents. Everybody is of age to be killed properly, so... <laughs> So no, nothing to report on in the third one, just that it's called The Happy Finish. <laughs> and it, one hell of a way to stu- to finish your trilogy <sighs> <Okay. laughs> it's, it's out there. <laughs> what we really need to, to figure out here, though, is plot-driven or gratuitous?
1: Well, I'm not going to speak for the second film. That's fine. Speak um, for the but, first. But one. I'll speak for the first. I'm actually going to say neither for this one. Really? because yeah i'm i'm going to throw kind of a wild card in here even though i've been the one that's been pushing like we need to make a clear designation between these two for each film but i'm i'm going to kind of throw throw that out the window on this one because i don't think it's plot driven i do feel it is a little gratuitous however i do feel it is character driven i do f- i feel like you could remove that character's death hell and remove the character and it really doesn't change the plot for the movie it doesn't affect the movie at all however it does affect the mother character okay so i will say that it is character driven it is not plot driven it's borderline gratuitous but i'm gonna go with character driven so that's that's my view i don't know what your thought is
0: i disagree with you okay yes it's gratuitous and i love it okay I agree with you that it is character-driven, but the character change, the shift in the mother character, who then becomes heroine number two, right? That's plot, because they don't get well, out of there without her rising to the occasion. Yeah,
1: that's true. So, so that's, th- that's
0: why that's why I disagree with you slightly. Sure, I, I, even though it's not main plot, yeah, driven. It does affect the plot because it affects a character. Uh, because,
1: yeah, yeah. So it, more of a subplot-driven moment, there you go. maybe.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a good, uh, good, good uh, point to ask the audience on this one, since we were slightly yeah, torn. yeah, yeah. Audience, what do you guys think? Uh, Feast the first film. Do you believe that the small child's death is, is it gratuitous? Is it plot-driven? Is it not? Is it character-driven? Do we not know what we're talking about? Head on over to our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com and let us know. Now, speaking about the second one, yeah, the, the the baby death, it is not plot-driven. Okay. At all. Just, if you take the whole baby section out, let's see, now I'm, I'm second-guessing myself because, and I, I, I say this because since the douchebag character tosses the baby when he gets back up, to the rest of the survivors the female character that he was connected with no longer wants to have anything to do with him because mm-hmm. he killed a baby mm-hmm. and then that affects some of the plot moving well it doesn't affect the plot but it affects characters so i'm still going to say not plot driven totally gratuitous yeah yeah it doesn't like didn't it. need to be in the film But again, you're upping the ante. I totally get why it was in the film. Sure. (laughs) Number three, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Released in 1982. Directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. Written by Tommy Lee Wallace. And starring Tom Atkins, Stacey Nelkin, and Dan O'Herlihy. Up until recently, kind of considered the black sheep of the Halloween franchise Mm -hmm. because, yes, nothing to do with Michael Myers. Right. But it has had a kind of a resurgence in popularity, I want to say, with the last decade or so. Yeah, well, I think people are
1: starting to realize that even though it's not part of the Michael Myers saga, Mm -hmm. any of uh, the you know right, right, various right. timelines that you want to go with.
0: I mean in the movie there actually um, there's a TV that is actually showing yeah, right. the first Halloween so it can't even even, can't even be, be in the somewhat, same universe
1: Yeah, connected. Um, but I think what people are realizing is that as a movie itself remove the title and give it just the title Season of the Witch. Yeah. It, it's a good movie. It's a great horror it's flick. It's a good little movie. Yeah, I really kind of wish that they would just drop the Halloween title off of it. Of course, you can't do that now because it was released that way and you got to, you know, I mean, it's kind of a depiction of the time. No, well So you right. don't really want to change it. But at the same time, I kind of wish they'd just change it and just, yeah. just
0: call it Season of the Witch because it's it actually Season a good film. It, it is a good, it's one of, the, one of the handful of ass-kicking Tom Atkins roles that are out there in the horror genre. We've yep. got him in uh, this, The Fog, let's not forget oh, right. The Fog, yep. and yep. Night of the Creeps, one of my favorite yep. Tom Atkins performances. Uh, let's let's take a brief moment though. Tommy Lee Wallace is also known for a couple of other things. He directed Fright Night Part Two. Now right. I know Fright Night Part Two gets gets some uh, people throw some shade rap. on it. Yeah. Uh, that's what the kids are calling. it. Oh, shade. is that what the, is that? Yeah, what yeah. That is. They throw okay. throw some shade on that because it's they they don't think that it's a worthy successor to the original Fright Night. I still love it. He also was responsible for directing the It miniseries. Yeah. Now, because of that, you know, I, I mentioned that he directed it just so that you know Tommy Lee Wallace is no stranger to knock it off a couple of kids. Right. And the plot for Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, is all about yep. mass genocide of youth. Of youth, <laughs> particularly. Yeah. That is the whole point yeah. of that film. Yeah. They want to kill as many children as as possible yeah now that's balls yeah when your whole plot revolves around oh we're just gonna kill kids we want to kill kids we like killing kids and we're gonna do it like that because television yep great premise little mystical uh we're not used to mystical but then also a little sci-fi-ish because you also got androids running around yeah
1: and the plant and everything that the, it's the, the just really plant, we've yeah. got yep. a little bit of everything
0: yep. in this in this film. We only get to see one right. child death, right. and it's during the testing process yep. at the factory and even though we never get to see what's underneath the mask, we're there the entire yep. time watching the kid rise and, and fight what's and yep. fight whatever mm-hmm. is yep. is going on, on underneath that mask, which makes that entire scene doubly horrific because we're left to our imagination to wonder oh God, what happened to, what's happening to that kid while also being shown it. Right, right. We we're we're seeing, <laughs> like we're we're seeing, seeing it stuff. And... But there's still enough of it covered up yeah. that we don't know everything and we get to fill in the blanks and that can be scarier than being shown the full Monty. Right. Now this one, I, I don't even think this is a, a question uh, where whether it be plot-driven or gratuitous because it, it is it the is plot. It is the plot. So, yeah, <laughs> by default it's plot-driven. <laughs> by by, the, but, by you know, default, yes. Yeah. Definitely plot-driven. And I have to say, if you haven't seen Halloween 3 Season of the Witch because it doesn't have Michael Myers in it, Trust me guys, forget about the whole Halloween shtick. Pop it in, rent it, do whatever you gotta do. It's definitely worthwhile. Five down, Jason, two to go. What will they be? What other kitties are we going to put on the chopping block in this episode? Whoosh, boom. I,
1: that was the sound of a of a chopping block. I, I don't know why you make sounds. I, <laughs> I don't know. We can, all of I know we can do it in we, post. We all of a sudden, I'm making sounds. You're, so, making, yeah. you're not Michael Winslow <laughs> from the Police Academy movies.
0: Save the I sound. Don't know where make, that came from? Save the sound effects for, for okay. the editor. All right, sounds good. We're gonna, we're gonna take a quick break, and we will be right back with more two guys talking horror.
2: Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever it can with perpetual advertising here's how it works magazine radio and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once and then they're lost forever perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks months even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. You're probably already editing your own podcast. You may be editing other people's podcasts. Ever thought of making even more money editing podcasts? EditorCore.com is looking for a few good editors to edit podcasts inside of the EditorCore.com effort. Take the experience, skills, and knowledge you've collected over the years as you edit podcasts and embiggen your wallet and or purse. It's time to start monetizing the process of editing podcasts. Make your way to editorcore.com. Help us make podcasts soar at the Editor Core. Editorcore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost effective on hold message for your organization or business?
1: Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover
0: needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice
1: Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com.
0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, to Lethal Listings. The kids are not alright. Seven horror films that did the unthinkable. Here on Two Guys Talking Horror. (laughs) Number two.
1: Trick or Treat. Released in 2007. Directed by Michael Dougherty. Written by Michael Dougherty, starring Anna Paquin, Dylan Baker,
0: and Brian Cox. Well, you said Brian Cox, so I'm already there. Well, uh, you know. No matter what. I I was just going to. I'll watch him read the phone book.
1: uh, Yeah, and and I was just going to say that this has, over the years, quickly become one of my favorite horror films, period. Yeah. I think I discovered it maybe a year or two after it had come to DVD. Mm Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed it. And then my wife and I watched it, one of our first Halloweens together, one yes. of those first years. And she likes horror movies, but as you know, Nick, she doesn't like jump scares. She's very particular about horror You're movies. Right. But she she always says she doesn't like horror movies, but then every Halloween she's got a huge list of horror films that she wants to watch. And it's like, no, you just don't like certain kinds. Yeah,
0: except anything from the Conjuring universe. Yeah, she won't, yeah, she won't watch
1: any James Wan film, yeah. period. Uh, other than Aquaman, but <laughs> um, but um, no, this is one that that has become a regular rotation in our Halloween viewing and has become a, a big favorite of both of ours. It's just such a great, fun, creative little film, right? For an anthology film, which aren't and a done. weird anthology film at that. It's yeah, not, it does not follow the it normal follow, which
0: anthology is anthology formula, which
1: is what I love about it. Yeah, it's. It is very creative in mm, how yeah. the stories all are being told and how they they connect. You know, typically in an anthology film, you get Creepshow or you get Twilight Zone the movie or you get the original Tales from the Crypt or Doctor Terror's House of Horrors, where right, it's basically yeah. just like a a narrator, crypt keeper type character who tells story after story. And right? Maybe there's a connection at the end of some sort. Maybe there's not. But this, they're all interwoven.
0: All interwoven. We jump through time. Yeah, yeah. They play with the linear middle. Yep. yep. Then we go back to the beginning. We get to the what we think is the end, but it's not the end. We go back to the middle again. Yeah, Yeah, you play
1: with that nonlinear narrative form and it's just so cleverly done and good. Yeah. And each story is good and interesting and and nothing that you haven't seen before but yet done in a way that is new and refreshing. Mm,
0: yes, I would agree with that. Yes. Um,
1: now the the <laughs> there are quite a, there's not just one kid death in this No, one. no. <laughs> this one's got multiple. <laughs> this one's got multiple, primarily the big story of the school bus. Yeah. That's yeah. the big one. Where, the
0: first you know, kid death uh, almost kind of doesn't count because he's not necessarily a kid. Kid, I would call you know the the chunky kid that you talking killed about by
1: the, the principal. Yeah, you are talking about the the pumpkin carving. One. Yeah,
0: yeah. I would call him a teenager. Maybe, maybe teen. Yeah, maybe uh, th- maybe I think early teens. Maybe pre. Uh, he was definitely maybe, a, a, think? a junior high kid. Probably. So a little bit older, but still a youth. Yeah, still not a an youth. adult. Definitely not eighteen, and not
1: not your typical high school kid that you would see in in most
0: horror films, right. either. Right, and that setup you're not expecting what what happens. You're not you know he's sitting on the porch talking with the principal, and then all of a sudden, holy crap!
1: And I would I would even go so far as to say that that they they pull a double mm. on you with that kid because. He's sitting on the porch, and you have the classic urban legend of something wrong with the candy, right? Yeah, and so we've killed the kid, but then when the principal's son, yeah, starts talking about can I carve the eyes? Can I carve the eyes? And they keep making you think that they're talking about jack o' lantern carving a pumpkin, yeah, j- and then at, at the end of the story, you come to realize they're going to carve this kid's head like a (laughs) jack-o'-lantern so they pull a double switch on you with that kid which is really very clever and very smart yeah Uh, definitely but then of course you know the the bus story and what what is so interesting is you have this amazing story with these kids and this bus and we'll get into that in a second you have this crazy story of a father and son carving a kid's head like a jack-o'-lantern
0: human jack-o'-lantern
1: and then you have a story of brian cox's character being tormented at his house next door to the principal and by the end of the movie what you discover is that these three stories are almost happening simultaneously yes and they all involve various kids Mm -hmm. and it's it's so cleverly done yeah yeah, the story where the the group of kids end up essentially bullying and picking on the uh, outcast yeah. girl, the yeah. the girl that is uh maybe not one of the cool kids and not part of the group. And so, you know, you have this prank that they're going to pull on on this girl. And during the prank, they end up telling the story of these kids that are if I remember correctly, are uh, they are special yes, children? Yes, they were. They? Yeah, yeah.
0: Parents were tired of taking tired care, of, taking of, them. care they, of them. They paid yep. the bus driver a large amount to uh, to take care of them, and it all happens on Halloween Day. So all of the kids are dressed in. That's right. They all have their, their masks. And- so this is also like thirty years earlier. Yeah. So it's those it's the 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 the, the really crappy costumes, the plastic plastic yep. masks the plastic and, masks of like the 60s for and, yep. and things mm-hmm. like that. Yep. The the bus driver sends the bus the the short bus over, over the, the cliff of the quarry. Yeah. yeah. And and they they drown because they were chained that's to their right. seats. That's right. They were tra-
1: chained in into their
0: seats and so yeah, they all drown in the
1: So a great urban legend that, yeah. that
0: that's shared and of course we get the visuals for it, but then you know, we we find out Oh, oh, that was not oh, an urban it, it, legend. It really happened. It's Real, <laughs> and and they're here. Yeah. they're back because you've disturbed them, and you're you're being bullies. Yep,
1: the little yes. girl that has been bullied, essentially, leaves them down at yeah. the at the edge of the court. The you edge get of the, what you, know, you deserve. Yeah, and she sticks them down there. Even the ones that were trying to be nice to her, she sticks them down there, and they guilty by association. Get their, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they get their. They were going with. And, they
0: were going with it. So yes, yes, um, definitely.
1: So what you know what you then find out in time is that the bus driver thirty forty years ago was the Brian well, Cox Brian character. Cox's character. Then we have the kids coming back now that they've been disturbed, and they're coming for him and it's amazing because it's all when you watch it and you see all this tied together, it's so cleverly done, yeah, but um that's probably at least up till now, I think the the movie on our list that has the most kid deaths.
0: Yeah, a whole bus full, uh, well I mean it's a short bus but it's a whole bus full of uh, of, of children. Plus
1: the four or five kids that go down, (sighs) that pull the prank and the kid who gets his head carved like a jack-o'-lantern. I'm going to say that every single one of them is extremely plot-driven. I'm not going to say any of the kids in this one are gratuitous. Even the jack-o'-lantern kid, the whole plot of that is this principal and his son who catch kids and cut their heads up.
0: Well, well yeah. So, well, I mean, that the, is the plot. The death, That's the, the whole. The jack-o'-lantern, the human jack-o'-lantern head is the the, the punchline for right. the joke of this yeah, of this, of story. this that story. So, it's so the, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's important. Totally plot-driven. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't consider any of it gratuitous no. at all. Uh, most of the deaths in this are very well done. The special effects yeah. used for the yes. deaths and I'm not just talking about the kids, but anybody who dies in this movie, yeah. the special effects were, were handled expertly. And there is even whispers and rumors that we may finally, finally get Trick or Treat 2 yeah, sometime in the I near future. That, man. Well, I mean, Michael Doherty, he's hot right now because guess what, guess what yep. just came out yep. and, and was crushing it? In the theaters, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. And he did a great job with that. He did a great job. And even though it didn't perform financially
1: the way the studio had expected, it was not a bomb. No, no, not at all. And the critics maybe were harsh, but fans loved it. Yes. Fans went nuts. I know I did. Me too. Um, Me and the wife. You know, and yeah, yeah, right. Same here. Um, So yeah, you know, he's hot if he wants to. I know he's been trying to get the sequel, and he's got a little bit more pull now. Yeah,
0: let's hope. Number 1 Clown released in 2014 directed by John Watts written by John Watts and Christopher Ford starring Andy Powers, Lauren Allen and Peter Stormare because you can't have a messed up horror movie Without Peter Stormare playing some crazy character. <laughs> yeah. He's either a bad guy or a, a crazy character. Or a character. crazy character. Or a crazy bad guy character. Or a character. crazy bad guy character, exactly.
1: Yeah. Now I, I, I will I will have to admit I haven't seen this film. This yes, this is so the you, only you know, film
0: on to... the list that Jason was not able to see. Yeah. You are missing out, but then you're also not because this movie is messed up. Hmm. Basic premise a uh, father. Got a lovely, lovely wife. Got some kids. Uh, It's a birthday. Oh, one of the kids have a birthday. Oh, well, the the clown canceled. Oh, we need need a performer. Well, this dad, working all the time, but he's a realtor. So at this house he's trying to sell, he starts looking through stuff that was left in the house. And in the basement, in this giant oak-looking trunk, there's a clown costume. How convenient! Why not? So the dad puts on the clown costume, dolls himself up as a mm-hmm. clown. Huge hit at the party. He's the hero to his wife. And you would think that that would be the happy happily ever after that you want. Well, this is a horror movie, buddy. He can't take the costume off. It's fusing to him. <laughs> the curly purple hair has fused to his head. The costume is now sucked, suctioned to his skin to where it's literally like a second skin. And he is slowly transforming into this ravenous monster. Now I don't want to give too much more of the plot away, but I got to tell you, this this is the whole point of the movie. And this is where Peter Stormare's character comes in. He's, he's your Basil exposition. He's the one who gives you the four one one. So in ancient times, there was this type of a demon called a cloine, and it would terrorize the village unless it was appeased. And the only way to appease it is to feed it a certain number of children. Ah. Now, to defeat the cloin, what they did was they skinned it. So, as long as the skin is socked away, everything is fine. But once you put it on, the cloying demon starts taking over. And the only way to get it off is to appease it by feeding it a certain amount of children. <laughs> I'm being very vague because I want I, I don't want to ruin it for Jason because he has to watch this movie, but I also don't want to ruin it for anybody that hasn't seen it also listening to this. All I can tell you is that one of the most horrifying scenes ever takes place in a Chuck E cheese type Oh my area. With nothing, with kids running through the the the, the what are like they called? The ball the, the, pits and things. But it's like, attached to the ball pit, the crawly maze oh, thing. Oh yeah, 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 like a jungle gym kind of a deal. Right, yeah. where but it's all enclosed. Yeah. In, in It's in there with <laughs> the kids. <laughs> oh, I I watched this movie for the first time in broad daylight, and I was uncomfortable. All right. Gratuitous or plot driven? Well, plot driven because it's yeah. part of the curse. It's it's yeah. part of the thing. You have to. You got to chow down on some kids to get the damn thing off. And you, you got to think about that. Okay, so the family finds out about it. Well, you want your father back. You want your husband back. But are you willing to help facilitate in eating the right number of children to appease this demon? Or do you do everything to keep it away from your kids because they're looking like a couple of Lunchables? <laughs> Great movie. Great movie. Uh, it's totally plot driven. S- some of the deaths, I don't want to say any of the deaths are really gratuitous, but the effects are outstanding. Okay. Absolutely outstanding. Okay. And directed by John Watts, who <laughs> uh, not only directed Spider Man Homecoming, but has directed yep. Spider Man Far From Home. Yep. So uh, a little departure, I mean, for, you know, a superhero yeah, fair, but he knows how to direct a yeah. flick. Yeah. Well, and that's
1: where we now ask you. What horror film with a child's death do you think should have been on our list? There's a lot of them out there. There certainly are. Reach out to us at our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Hit the contact button. Fill out the web form and tell us
0: what you think. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can interact with us there and share your thoughts. Well, Jason, I- I've had fun <laughs> talking about these films filled with yeah, child child death. <laughs> child death. Yeah. I guess next time uh we we need to tackle animals. Animals. Yeah. Which uh might be a little bit harder for me because I do I do love me some animals. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm a dog person. Yeah. But it has to be it, it would have to be
1: animals that are not The monster, like Cujo, wouldn't count. Right, it has to be can't be Cujo, can't be
0: Monkey, can't be Jaws again, (laughs) can't be Jaws again.
1: Much, much like this, you know, we couldn't do like the Bad Seed. Yes, we know that there is a child death in the Bad Seed, but that's the
0: bad, the monster character. Exactly, it doesn't count. There's a podcast episode for our future. We'll get to that eventually, someday, I'm sure. But until next time, I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, and I'm Jason Cantini. And remember, folks, don't be afraid of the dark. Be afraid of what's in the dark. Congratulations. You've survived this episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. We hope you were entertained and informed by our program. Take what you have learned and pass it on to your family and friends. It may just save their lives someday. Have questions? Comments? Suggestions for a future episode? Visit our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side and fill out our short web form. It's the easiest way to interact with the hosts. Beware of monsters, creatures, and all things that go bump in the night. And keep telling yourself, it's only a podcast. It's It's only a podcast. podcast. It's only a podcast.
1: It's
0: It's only only a podcast podcast.
1: It's only
2: a podcast It's It's only only a a podcast. podcast
0: Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls. Welcome to another episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. I'm one of your hosts, Nicholas J. Hearn. I'm your other horse. I'm your horse.